before Jesus left the earth, He really didn't leave much here. But He left His disciples with a vision of what was to come. He wanted His disciples to know and to understand what they were involved with. And so he looked around at what little was there and showed them a story that described what that little was going to become. And we can find that in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. The Scripture there says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. I'd like for us to consider this, and there are four things that we want to draw from this. Number one, we need to recognize the point that the kingdom of heaven was like a mustard seed. Its beginnings would be very insignificant. Think about this. The man who was starting it was just a Nazarene. Look in John chapter 1 and verse 46. In John chapter 1 and verse 46, Philip had come to find Nathanael and told him, hey, we've met this guy Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one. And Nathanael said in John 1.46, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip just said, come and see. The one who was starting it was from Nazareth. Nothing good can come from there. Very insignificant beginnings. Secondly, we'll notice that he was starting this among the Jews. A beaten and defeated nation, slaves to Rome. What could begin among them a slave people? Further, as he dealt with these people, the third thing we'll notice is he was only working really with twelve of these people. And isn't that amazing? Twelve men. No doubt there were others that happened to hear some of the things that he had to say. There were others that caught some of the teaching. There were the masses, but there were no glitzy ad campaigns. There were no mass mail-outs. There were no billboards and all of those things. There were just twelve men that he was working with. Amazingly enough, he even took some of the people who could have been his greatest advertisers and told them to be quiet. Think about Mark chapter 5 and verse 43. He had just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And what does he tell the family in Mark chapter 5 and verse 43? He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. Repeatedly we find times in which Jesus said, now don't tell anybody what's just happened to you. That's phenomenal. There was also a time in which he almost purposely, it seems like, ran off a bunch of the masses that were following him. In John chapter 6, he started telling them all kinds of odd things about him being the bread of life and they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And in John chapter 6 and verse 6, he said many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And then in verse 66, it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The long and short of it, by the time Jesus was done with His earthly ministry, there were only 120 disciples. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, 
a gathering of about 120 persons was there together. And then he started talking about what they were going to do. But 120, that was it. Very small, very insignificant. And then, not only did he start with just these 12 and it produced 120, and that's all there was by the time he left the earth, the ones that he chose to be his leaders were uneducated. They were low-class fishermen. They weren't high-powered leadership types. They weren't folks who were already entrenched in the religious leadership of the world. In fact, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, the Scripture says that as these, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin saw them, they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. This is how it all began. Very insignificant. In fact, for these folks who were the leaders of this movement, you can imagine how discouraged they could have become. How discouraging that beginning might seem. An entire world out there and all they've got is 120. That's the way it began. But Jesus had given them a vision. He said the beginning is going to be insignificant. It's going to be small like a mustard seed, but He said when it's grown, it's going to become a huge tree. Jesus picked the mustard plant because the mustard plant becomes larger than any of the garden plants. In fact, some varieties grow to be, in just a matter of months, 12 feet tall. Huge trees. This is the same vision that God had given through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 through 24. In Ezekiel chapter 17, beginning at verse 22, God had said to Ezekiel, Thus says the Lord God, I shall also take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and set it out. I shall pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I shall plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel I shall plant it, that it may bring forth boughs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. And all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the high tree. I exalt the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will perform it. In that chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 17, God had demonstrated the utter destruction that Babylon would bring upon Judah. Nothing would be left. But he left a ray of hope in these verses. And he pointed out that there is hope. There's something coming. I'm going to take a tender branch and I'm going to plant it. And it's going to grow up to be a stately cedar. And the birds will nest in it. There's no doubt in my mind that that prophecy had its fulfillment in the restoration of national Israel. But ultimately, Jesus is pointing out in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, that the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy was not in national Israel, but in spiritual Israel what would come out of this restored kingdom. Jesus and His kingdom and His flock. What an amazing thing that would be. And it would grow. And the birds of the air would nest in its branches and its shade. And all the other trees, all the other kingdoms would learn the Lord is God. That's exactly what we sing when we sing that song, the kingdoms of earth pass away one by one. All those nations will recognize God's nation is the powerful one. 
And what was described here is exactly what happened. We said that in Acts chapter 1, they started with 120, but notice in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, on that very first Pentecost, so then those in Acts 2.41 who had received His Word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. We move over to Acts chapter 4, and we read verse 4. It says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. That's not counting women. That's not counting the children they brought along with them. 5,000 men. We're talking a group of ten to 15,000 people here. That's amazing. We can keep reading and we find in Acts chapter 5 and verse 14 that it continued to grow and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. The text tells us in places they were drawing from outside the city as they would come in. Priests were being converted. But then a terrible thing happened. Stephen was stoned. And in Acts chapter 8, a persecution began and scattered the disciples from Jerusalem, all except the apostles who remained behind to build things up. But really, all the persecution did was fan the flames and cause this mustard plant to grow even larger. Because in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. And the gospel now went out from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, as Acts chapter 1 describes. The gospel went into Asia and Europe and Arabia. Churches in Africa were established. Acts chapter 10. We find that it was no longer just the Jews who were able to become a part of this kingdom, but with Cornelius the centurion from Caesarea a Gentile, brought into the family of God. Now the doors were open not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And the gospel was spreading. And it spread so that it even came to the capital city of the world in Rome. And interestingly enough, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22 demonstrates that the gospel having come into Rome made its way even into Caesar's household. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22 says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul described this phenomenal growth in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. The success of this seemingly insignificant kingdom. Colossians 1 and verse 6, he talks about the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Even the enemies recognize the great success that the gospel was having in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, the mob was bringing Jason before the magistrates. And in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, they said when they didn't find Paul and those who were with him, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. You see that? The growth was phenomenal. Even the enemies recognized it's going through the world. Started small, the most insignificant of scenes, but then became the largest of plants, a tree in which birds could rest, and all the trees of the field can see the great success 
of God's tree, of His kingdom. The seed became the plant. But here's the question. What do we see? We need to realize that we are part of Jesus' vision. As Jesus talked to His disciples about the seed that they were and the mustard plant, the large tree it would become, we were included in that. And the plant is still supposed to be growing. We are not to sit back and believe that the plant has gotten large enough. We're a part of Jesus' vision, so the question is, what is our vision? We need to remember the next parable that Jesus told there in Matthew chapter 13. He began in 31 and 32 talking about the kingdom being like the mustard seed. But then in verse 33, He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. That's our duty, to get that leaven throughout all the flour of the world. And if there are folks out there that are still unleavened, it's our job to get the gospel leaven into their hearts. To spread it as leaven and yeast spreads through flour and dough and causes it to rise. That's our duty. We can't say the plant is big enough. Look in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 said, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Jesus came in so that folks could be saved. But Paul points out the only way people will be saved is if we, God's children, go about teaching. If we, the congregations of the Lord, send folks out. And brethren, this is not talking about supporting a preacher in Africa. Though that would be included, I'm certain. This is talking about churches being evangelism factories. Producing Christians whose faith is contagious. Who are being sent out into the world to tell folks about Christ so that they can hear and believe and call on the name of the Lord in baptism. That's what we've got to do. We're a part of this vision. The plant has not grown fully. We've got to make it grow. And so the fourth thing we need to ask, what's our vision? The seed or the plant? For this congregation, what can we see in our future? When you think about the Franklin Church of Christ and you look ten years down the road, what do you see? I think it would be very easy for us if we wanted to, to believe that somehow we are already extremely significant. I think the average size of congregations throughout the United States is somewhere around 50. We're more than twice that size. I can tell you about the congregation where I was this past week that had about 25 to 30 members. 
And if we think about that, we can think to ourselves, hey, we're doing pretty good. We're already a mustard plant. But really, brethren, in many ways, we are still just a seed. Acts chapter 1 started with 120 disciples. you know how many members we have right now? 121. Sound familiar? Look similar? Seed. But what can we become? We can be a plant. But we've got to see it. We've got to look forward to that. If we don't look to that in the future, we'll never get there. We'll just always be what we are. When you look down the road, what can you see? Can you see us baptizing another person this year? How about ten more this year? Can you see us baptizing 150 or 200 in the next five years? When you look down the road five years, what would you like to see here in the Franklin Church? Would you like to see folks that have drawn closer to one another? That are helping support one another? Like our brother who came forward this morning asking for support? Would you like to see where we, as one person I've heard pray, we stand so close together that nobody can fall down? Would you like to see people having grown in the faith? Stronger Christians that are telling people about the gospel? Would you like to see us have this building full on a Sunday night? In fact, so full that we have to build something else and then fill that one and build something else and move someplace else and continue on growing. You know, the Jerusalem church, brethren, had at least 10,000 members. And frankly, I think if they could do it, so can we. Would you like to see us having so much work that we have to hire more full-time workers to train and equip? Would you like to see twice as many shepherds as we have now and deacons? Can you see that down the road or is all you see is the seed that we already are? What's your vision? The seed or the plant? If we don't make this vision our own, then Jesus' parable here is really pointless in our lives. Jesus said the kingdom would begin as a seed, but it would become a plant. And we're a part of that. And God wants us to be a part of it. And I think we can do it. If you have a hard time, though, envisioning the plant, let me remind you of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is not just us. We're not here trying to cause this growth by ourselves. It says God can do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. By the power working in us. God can use us to accomplish these things. And we can be His tools and His instruments. But we've got to see it. We've got to ask. So He can do far more abundantly than we ask or think. I think that means we need to ask big. And think and visualize big. And God will use us to spread his gospel. How many people live in Middle Tennessee? Hundreds of thousands? Well, we can do so much work from 
Spring Hill all the way up into Nashville. From Fairview all the way over to... I haven't learned what's out east yet. But whatever's over there. We can do that. But we have to see the vision. Can you see it? 